0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. How are you doing this fine morning? I hope well. Excellent. I like hearing those kinds of things. So um, we're going to jump in this morning uh, right away. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to uh, be learning about this Christmas tradition of Advent. Uh, The word Advent has an interesting cultural meaning, and it has a Christian meaning. So here's the definition of that word really quickly. Uh, Culturally, the Advent simply means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The arrival of a, per, of a person, a notable person, a notable thing, or a notable event. Now for us, we've probably heard the phrase, although rarely, we've heard the phrase, the advent of the internet or something along those lines. You see what is meant by this. Now in Christian theology, uh, it means the coming as well as the second coming of Christ. And although the second coming of Jesus is clearly in view for us, where we are in our timeline, it is not what we're anticipating right now. What I'm trying to do over the next couple of weeks is, is paint a picture of what uh, people before Jesus' first coming were anticipating. Because only when we understand what they were anticipating, only when we understand what they were longing for, will we really get the meaning of this season. So we're interested in particular in the notable person that is Jesus and the arrival Of King Jesus as a baby. It's easy for us to see uh, that without the proper context, without a proper understanding of the storyline, Jesus being born 2,000 years ago uh, for whatever purpose doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This is why skeptics say uh, from time to time, how in the world is anyone's eternity uh, hinging on the birth of some child 2,000 years ago, let alone his death. What does that have to do with anything? And this is where uh, the backstory gives us the weight or explains the reactions and the attitudes that we see throughout Scripture. Uh, The backstory for us is what's going to lead to a proper understanding of Christmas, a proper understanding of this great Advent season. Uh, if you were like me, you were raised in churches where you didn 't even hear that term, Advent. What is that all about? Uh, it 's it's simply a, a season starting uh, including the Christmas week. It, it includes the three previous weeks, four weeks for the church to refocus their heart and their minds towards the coming of Christ. We just celebrated as kids. we just celebrated Christmas. We just celebrated on Sunday, We sang a bunch of Christmas carols, and, and we talked about Jesus as a baby. And that was, that was pretty much it. But Advent is a long-running tradition inside of the Big C Church. And so, so we're going to come back to this and kind of get an idea of what Advent is about. Today, we're going to look at some of the reactions that we see throughout Scripture. Because uh, you can tell a lot about what somebody believes by their reactions by their actions, by the words that they say, uh, by the the behavior of that person. And so we're going to look at some reactions from Scripture. Afterwards, we're going to move to what Jesus' coming actually meant to those people and consequently what it should mean to us. This week, as I was studying... Uh, I decided to go in and YouTube some things. How's that for a verb for you? Uh, So we're YouTubing now, uh, just like we Google. That's that's the verbs anyway. So so I was YouTubing man on the street interviews, and I wanted to find out what people thought about Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? What what is the culture's understanding of Christmas? Now I would have loved to just gotten a camera and a microphone and. Pestered some people <laughs> well, because that 's what I do, but anyway, but uh, I would have been glad to do that, but work with what you have, right, and so we have plenty of videos on YouTube, and uh, the common question that I saw throughout those videos is, what does Christi- Christmas mean to you? That was the question that was asked over and over now, of course, this is a rather pointless question because i I could care very little what Christmas means to you i 'm asking what does Christmas mean? You guys know, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, punch a little bit this morning, but the idea is it, 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 it always, we always do this in our culture. We're always asking the question, what does this mean to you? What does the Bible mean to you? What does this passage of scripture mean to you? Do you know that that's a stupid question? You know that when you were brought up, you heard there are no such thing as stupid questions? You were lied to. There are stupid questions, and my four daughters ask a lot of them, but... Nonetheless, this is a stupid question, and that stupid question is, what does Christmas mean to you? But we'll work with what we have. One man's answer to this question, here's the quote, here's what he said. He said, I think it means family. I think um, the religious aspect is one thing, but I think it's more about family getting together. Yeah. So if I had that buzzer uh, from Family Feud with the exes, eh, wrong. 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 You, do you realize, I know this is culturally like taboo to talk about. You know Christmas isn't about you, right? You know Christmas isn't about your family, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Christmas isn't about you. So the other answers to this question, just lots of answers, right? What, is, what does Christmas mean to you? Blessings. Catch this. This is like having the word inside of the definition. That irritates me beyond belief. What does Christmas mean to you? The Christmas spirit. What What does Christmas mean to you? The Christmas spirit. Yes, but what does that mean? Ah, The Christmas spirit. What does Christmas mean to you? Celebrating family. Believe it or not, that was the far, uh, that was the lion's share of the answers, okay? It is all about family for people. And then uh, we got to things like, we're going to celebrate our little boy. They literally meant their little boy. So Christmas is about their new child. They had their first child, and so that was what Christmas was about. Now, uh, meanwhile, on another video, standing outside of a Chick-fil-A, you can go from there, standing outside of a Chick-fil-A, they almost got the answer right. And you're going to see what I mean by this. They almost got the answer right. So the the common answer outside of Chick-fil-A was, what what does Christmas mean to you? It's Jesus' birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. It's almost. Almost the right answer. Still not fully the right answer. Okay, and you'll see why that is the case uh, as we move on. It is true that we celebrate this as Jesus' birthday, but Christmas is not merely a glorified birthday celebration, at least not in our modern sense. So, here's a bit of a history lesson for you in case you like this. If you don't, tough. Okay, so the Christmas lesson is, or the, the history lesson is this that the custom of observing birthdays is said to have begun in ancient Egypt. These observances were not for the average person. Did you know this? Birthdays were not for the average person. They were reserved for kings and key religious uh, figures. And in Egypt, when you ascended to the throne or, uh, uh, or became a pharaoh, you became a god. And you became a key religious figure inside of their day. Scripture confirms that these important people were actually the object of birthday celebrations when we read things like birthday, uh, Pharaoh's birthday in Genesis 40:20, or Herod's birthday in Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6. But we don't see the birthday of the average man inside of that time. It appears that this wasn't until much later under the Romans that the average man celebrated their birthday. And even then, that was only celebrated for major milestones. So based on how people lived and based on uh, life expectancy, things like that, uh, if you made it to 50... You got a celebration. So under Roman rule, it also may be of interest that it took until, and this is really challenging for people to think about this, it took until the 12th century before women celebrated birthdays. And that was all because they didn't want to get older. No, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was clearly for the reasons that you understand that there was, there was a very clear oppression on women all the way up to the 12th century. We're dealing, with, we're dealing with hundreds of years after the church comes into the picture, right? The term for birthday was also applied to the date of a king's accession to the throne. So when somebody ascended, somebody was put in place, that was also the Greek term for birthday. Christmas, however, is not just happy birthday Jesus, Okay? It's not just happy birthday, Jesus, and just because Jesus gets presents, we should get presents, is not a good reason for that. I really don't understand what that is. But that was started a long time ago, by the way. That was started a long time ago. Wise men brought Jesus gifts. We should do the same thing. Much of what we know about gift giving actually started only 200 years ago in the 1800s. So this is a really important idea. Of course, uh, celebrating with gifts is not completely out of the question. Let me, let me share with you a couple other facts, history facts. Uh, birthdays as festivals and feasts with dancing and sacrifices and gifts were not uncommon. But, here's the important thing, they were suitable for the occasion. All the festivals, all the gifts, all the things were designed to reflect the celebration that was at hand. Here's what I observe inside of modern-day Christian thinking. It's all about Jesus, and we've forgotten Jesus. We're trading gifts. We're talking about family. We're doing all this eggnog and everything else that you can imagine. And what? Jesus is lost inside of all of this. So it's important for us to get this. Now, uh, it is also, I believe, important to, to remember that giving gifts and having festivals and doing those things is not the problem. Okay, this is not the problem. The question is, are your eyes focused on the right thing? Do you understand that? Much has been made about whether or not we should celebrate with Christmas trees. Christmas trees are pagan, so you shouldn't. Okay, everything else we do is largely pagan, if you know your history. So what does it matter? Can we redeem things for the kingdom? Of course we do. We do it all the time. So, do you want to have a Christmas tree? Cool, have a Christmas tree. Don't forget Jesus in the midst of it. Do you want to trade gifts for the Christmas holiday? Great. Don't forget Jesus in the midst of it. Do you want to have family together? Great. Don't forget Jesus in the midst of it. And especially if you're a family of Christians. Do you know how many families of Christians don't bring up the name Jesus at their celebrations? It doesn't make any sense. This whole thing is about Jesus, about what He came to do, about what He was for, and yet we don't even talk about Jesus. For the few, for the few first, there I'll get it out. First few hundred years of the church uh, in church history, celebrating birthdays was taboo. Did you know this? Wasn't till the fourth century that the celebration that we know as Christmas of Jesus being born even occurred. Before that, the first Christians said, no way, this is pagan nonsense. So we have the same kind of heritage here, right? But we pushed that, or they pushed that off. It wasn't until the fourth century. So for a couple of hundred years, nobody even asked the question, you mean you're not celebrating Christmas? There was no such thing. There was no such thing. It just did not happen. In Luke chapter 1, uh, we're going to turn to these reactions, but in Luke chapter 1, in Elizabeth's womb, we actually see the first, what I would argue would be the first reactions to Jesus coming. And we're going to learn a lot by these reactions of how we should celebrate this Christmas season, this Christmas time. Luke chapter 1, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, uh, who we know to be who? John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist. He was the first Baptist, but John the Baptist. So we've got John the Baptist. And what happens at the the welcome of Mary? She comes into the room. Look at what it says. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, this is amazing, the baby leaped. Okay, there's something more than just a cool holiday that's all about family. That's making a baby leap inside of its mother's womb. There's something else that's going on here, right? So this is the first thing. We've got this baby that's leaping in her, or in its mother's womb, his mother's womb. And then the next piece is outlined here, which is amazing as well. And when Elizabeth heard this, and, Elis- and when Elizabeth heard this, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to know what makes that so amazing? We are not in the New Testament dispensation yet. How do I know this? Jesus literally hasn't even been born. If he hasn't been born, what else hasn't happened? He hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't died. He hasn't been buried. He hasn't raised. He hasn't ascended to the Father. And Pentecost hasn't happened yet. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something big's going on here. This is a big, big, big reaction to a baby being born, right? So moving forward in Luke 1, Mary says several things of note. The first one is this. She says, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. Okay, now listen, if all that happens here is a virgin is bearing a child, this seems, seems pretty fitting, right? It seems to make sense. But what comes next doesn't make sense. Mary goes on and says, blessed among women are you. And then she says, for you are the mother of my Lord. Or is it the mother of my Lord who speaks to me? Something along these lines. You can see it on the screen. So she calls him Lord in this. This is Elizabeth. He's, he's not even out of the womb yet, guys. She sees something that we don't see often. Moving forward in Luke again, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. What a powerful line there. And then in verses 51 and 52, look what she says. This is cool, 51 and 52. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Track with me. This is the reaction to Jesus being born. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble? Okay, this is high praise for uh, a little boy. When Sarah and I found out that Sarah was pregnant with Sam, uh, I can assure you there was a lot of praising God being done there because we struggled for uh, many years to have babies. But I can also u- assure you of this. We had no prayer in that thanksgiving to God that talked about God bringing down rulers and authorities and powers. <laughs> Why is that? Because it's just Sam. I hate to say that so bluntly, but it's just Sam. She's not the savior of the world, okay? So we were grateful for this, but look at the wording that is here. This is going to bring down thrones and rulers. Luke's account goes on to tell us of shepherds in the field who encounter the angel of the Lord. Okay, That's a phrase that is used or a title that's used in the Old Testament for either an archangel or at times Jesus himself. And they say that the angel of the Lord speaks and says, a savior is being born now in the city of David. So now what we have is a title and we have a history of where he's coming from. He is of the city of David and he happens to be a savior. This is a big deal. Or the heavenly hosts which join that angel and here's what they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among men with whom he is pleased. Okay, so hold on a second. There's a baby being born in the city of David to a virgin, and he's supposed to bring peace to men, to the world? Yeah, this is far more than a birthday celebration, guys. This is something far more than everybody get together with family and have some eggnog this is far more than this and we have to keep it in perspective in order to really celebrate christmas correctly take a quick side note here i really think that the problem as i as i see it the problem is that christians have made christians have allowed the takeover of christmas to run them to govern them Do you understand what I mean by this? I mean that if the world looks at the church, the world should see a group of people who know that this whole thing is about Jesus and about what Jesus came to do and what Jesus is still going to do. Christians should be the people who are known to see it this way. And yet... We are the same people as the rest of the world. We're arguing and fighting over deals on Black Friday. We're constantly wanting this to be about our family, not mentioning Jesus. We're missing the point. And if anybody's supposed to get it right, guys, it's all y'all. It's me. We need to get back to this idea that we understand the meaning of Christmas. So in Luke chapter 2, Simeon, who after seeing Jesus presented in the temple, declares this. You talk about a reaction, powerful reaction. My eyes have seen your salvation. So he got to see the baby Jesus, born Jesus, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Look at what this baby is to him. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So what we're seeing here is this peace bringer, this Jesus who is supposed to bring peace to all men, the good news of great joy, remember? This peace bringer is supposed to bring peace both to Gentiles and to Jews. For the Gentile, it's revelation in their darkness. For the Jew, it is the glory of the people. You see, from, old, from ancient times, Israel was waiting for a prophet like Moses. They were waiting for the seed of Abraham. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Jesus is that. The very glory of Israel is supposed to be seen in its Messiah. And guess what? They didn't see it. He came, glorious as he could be, and they missed it. Gentiles came Uh, He came, he he showed them revelation, and some still miss it. Some still look away. So, Simeon, who receives the consolation of Israel, says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. These responses clearly indicate that something else, something big, is going on with the birth of this baby. As I see it, one of the problems, again, with the Christian celebration of Christmas is that we don't even understand what it's about. So this morning, I want you to see uh, this view of Jesus. I want you to see that he's the seed of Abraham. Next week, we're going to move on to something else. We're going to see him as the conquering king. That was one of the pieces that Israel missed. They didn't quite see it correctly. This week, the seed of Abraham, next week, the conquering king, and then on Christmas, we're going to see him as Emmanuel. We're going to see him as God with us because that's one of the great promises in Revelation. When the new heavens and the new earth come down, what is going to happen? God is going to be among his people. He is going to walk with us. He's going to talk with us. He's going to be with us. We're not going to be separated in any way, shape, or form anymore. And guess what Jesus came to usher in? The beginning of that truth. The beginning of that truth. How many of you, with all honesty, would say that there are many times in your life that you feel distant from God? Distant from God. That ought not be the case. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I'm saying that 2000 years ago the kingdom of God was inaugurated it it came right it's not consummated yet there's a time when it will be it will be finished it will be completed but it was inaugurated then and God is with us and when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the father he actually promised that we wouldn't be alone so who did he send the very spirit that filled Elizabeth when she heard About Jesus. What a powerful idea. So you you and I ought not feel alone in this time because we're in that kingdom time. We're in a time where Jesus is ruling and reigning. So this week, seed of Abraham, next week, conquering king, and then on Christmas, Emmanuel. So why do we celebrate or what were the Jewish people awaiting or anticipating? Well, that seed of Abraham began all the way back in Genesis 3:15. We see the first idea of the seed. The NIV actually puts it really well, and it says that the seed, or he, will crush the serpent's head. Although the serpent might bruise his heel, he will crush the serpent's head. This idea of the seed uh, of God is going to come, and it's going to redeem the fall. It's going to redeem the curse that took place. In Genesis 22:18, this is where we see that God expressly says to Abraham, "In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." The promised seed continued throughout scripture, whether you knew this or not. Genesis 3:15, we see the seed Start, Genesis 22, we see the seed promised to Abraham. And as it goes on, the seed is talked about over and over. In Psalm 132, 11, it's the fruit of the body of David. In Micah 7, 20, in Matthew 1, it is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Acts 3:25, Romans 4:13, and so on, it is King Jesus. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're looking for. But what does this seed of Abraham do? That's the question. Because we look at all this stuff and we say, Nathan, this is great. It's just religious nonsense. It's just religious talk. The seed of Abraham. Fancy. What does that seed do? What was the point of all of this? How many of you have ever read the Bible and you're like, that really doesn't mean much to me? How many of you have done that? You can be honest with me. I'm not going to shoot you down here. Unless it's Dave McCarthy and then I'll do it. But, but the idea is that we read it and we go, okay, can you unpack that? Can you give me greater understanding? Can you give me more meaning? This seed was promised Abraham, but he was promised to do something for Abraham. And it's in the promise of what he's to do that we actually begin to understand what it is or what the seed is. So we look back again at Genesis 22, and it says, this, In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So, seed doesn't make much sense. But, if we understand seed to be a person, and we understand that person to actually bring peace, to actually bring blessing to everybody in the entire world, we start to see the bigness of that promise, okay? The, the bigness, there's a new word for you, but whatever, right? We start to see how big this is. The seed of Abraham was meant to bring peace, And to bring peace to all the world. That's what Jesus came to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're gonna start at verse 11. It's not gonna be on the screen, guys, because there's half a book that I would have had to put up here, and I don't, it just gets all convoluted. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. It's a message to Gentile Christians, okay? To Gentile believers. Therefore remember, verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, who did the uh, covenant of circumcision come to? The Jews. But what person in particular? The Abraham we're talking about, right? The Abraham whose seed is going to come, okay? And so uncircumcision by those who called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So you have Israel who is blessed under a covenantal promise, and then you have the rest of the world. Israel and the rest of the world. But, as strangers to the covenants of promise, they had no hope, and, this is the truth about Gentiles, they had no hope and were without God in the world. That doesn't sound too positive, does it? Without God in the world, verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, who is who? The seed of Abraham right? In the seed of Abraham, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why? Because the promise given to Abraham was to bless the whole world, okay? So he brought, brought you near, verse 14 again, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What did the seed come to do? He came to mend all those gaps, all those fences, all those broken places. He was going to bless, God was going to bless the entire world and it needs the seed to do this. He requires the seed to do this. Verse 15, he abolished in his flesh, that is in Christ's flesh, the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And the reason why he abolished it in his flesh is because he fulfilled them, okay? Understand that doesn't mean we get we're scot free from murdering people. Yee right? We're not. There's a fancy theological term, antinomian. We're not anti-law. We're not against the law. We just can't earn our way to God. Okay. So the point is, uh, we have been made uh, one with God's covenanted people through the blood of Jesus. Verse fifteen, by abolishing in the flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing what, church? Peace. Because that's what the angels announced at Jesus' coming. Behold, this is the peace bringer. This is the one who's going to bring peace. Verse 16, "...and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross." By it having put to death the enmity. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Jesus preaching the gospel, what a powerful idea. Verse 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. We both means Jew and Gentile alike. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, Gentiles, are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You see, the beautiful picture of Scripture is that God says, I'm not leaving it with just my covenanted people. I made a covenant that includes the whole world. I made a covenant that includes the whole world. And through Jesus, 2,000 years ago, being born, making another baby, John the Baptist, leap in his mother's womb, Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, filling Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost had ever happened. Jesus coming 2,000 years ago, made angels sing from heaven, made shepherds in a field make a giant pilgrimage to see this Messiah who was born. The angel, uh, the, the message of Jesus coming made leaders and, and big religious feater, uh, uh, figures mad, infuriated at what was coming. All because of a baby? All so that we could have a cool family celebration? Yay! No! No! Because the thing the world heard for the first time was, God loves all of you. And it wrecked their life. It wrecked their life forever. See, in Luke chapter 4, I mentioned it last week, Jesus was preaching the gospel and it said that that grace was dripping from his lips. It's amazing because he's preaching the gospel and he says God has come for the far off. He's come to bring you near. What a beautiful picture, right? He's quoting Isaiah. And he fulfills Isaiah's uh, prophecy in their hearing because Jesus was the very one to do this. We have a little bit of time. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see it. It's just beautiful. Luke chapter 4. And then I'll skip over to Luke 17 here in a little bit to show you a a passage that often gets misunderstood. But Luke, Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14, says this, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth. Where is Jesus from? Nazareth. He's a Nazarene. Where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read church looked very different to them than it does to us, okay? Verse 17, and the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, which would have been a scroll, and found the place where it was, and here's what he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. This is Jesus. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set those who are oppressed free. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now look at this. Jesus then rolls up the scroll and he goes and he sits down. And as you would expect, everybody in the entire synagogue went, What? They all look at him. Every eye goes to Jesus. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of the entire synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And look at what the response was. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And here's what he said. Truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a foreigner, a woman who was a widow verse twenty seven and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of elisha, his predecessor or his uh, his young apprentice, the prophet the one, and none of them was cleansed only Naaman the Syrian, who also was what a Gentile siri wants to know what i 'm asking so uh, So Naaman, who was also a Gentile, and all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard those gracious words that were dripping from his lips. Ha, funny. And they got up and they drove him out of the city and wanted to throw him over the brow of the hill. Isn't that an amazing idea? So here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm not welcome here. Why? I'm the consolation of Israel, and I came to save the whole world, and you don't want me to save anybody but you. You don't even want me to save you said, so what happened? I went to the widows. I went to, the, I went to Naaman. I went to foreigners. I healed them. I took care of them. I didn't go to my own people. I'm going to those people now, and here's why. Because you guys don't want me. How sad would it be for a Christian world to reject the same Messiah who bought them the same way the Jews, to whom he was promised, rejected him back then? And you know how we reject him? Because we make Christmas about family and about eggnog and about presents. And we miss the point of all of this. Because the seed of Abraham came for one reason, church, to save everyone who will believe. Did you know that? That's an amazing idea. A similar story to this is found in Luke 17. It's the story of the healing of ten lepers. And people make it about healing and they just don't even understand what the point of the story is. The one leper who returned to give thanks to God, to Jesus, whom he healed. Who was that guy? He was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. The point of the story is God's own people rejected him, but the foreigner accepted the gift and rejoiced in the king who brought it. Church, this is our story. This is what we're all about. So here's how how we wrap up this week. And I'm going to leave you kind of waiting for, for next week when we talk about a conquering king. It's going to have a lot more history in it because we really need to take a look at at what they were expecting. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that we have been, Jews were awaiting the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham was intended to bring peace to the world by saving everyone. When he came to do so, they rejected it because they didn't want those Gentiles as as a part of their team, as a part of their family. We will miss the whole point of the seed of Abraham and the love that he shows for the whole world if we will simply do what those people on YouTube do, and that is make Christmas about what it means to us. We will miss it. We will miss it deeply. This Advent season, here's what we should be celebrating. Here's what we should be celebrating. Because of that seed come 2,000 years ago, we have peace with God. We have peace with God because of that seed come 2,000 years ago, we are covenanted in the blood of Jesus with God's people Israel. I don't think we see how beautiful that is, church. I don't think we know how beautiful that is. We would do Jesus a massive disservice, no guilt trip intended. We would do Jesus a massive disservice if we went through this season and we just checked all the Christmas boxes and we did not make this season about the one that they were waiting for. Guys, they were so longing for this. I want to I close with this story. There's a story of a prophetess. Old Covenant, Old Testament era. New Testament hadn't come yet. Why? Because Jesus still hadn't gone to the cross, okay? The covenant had not been made. Old Testament prophetess. Her name was Anna, okay? She was 80 years old praying in the temple waiting, waiting for God. And she was calling out. And it says in the scripture, it's hard for us to interpret exactly what is meant, but it seems like what the scripture is saying, that she got married, she lived seven years with her husband, he died, and the rest of her life until she was 80 years old, she came daily to the temple praying for the consolation of Israel. That's a person who gets it. That's a person who gets it. That's a person who understands what she's waiting for. And God promised her that she would see it before she died, and she did. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. Guys, this Christmas season, we have to be able to make this about what it's about. We have to be a people who are willing to change our hearts and our minds to say, Father, 2,000 years ago, you changed human history through the seed of Abraham. He is worthy of not just a celebration at Christmas and not just a family event. He's worthy to declare his name from the rooftops because he changed history. Church, we need to start anticipating Christmas right again. Contrary to popular belief, Christmas isn't about keeping it simple, only do three gifts because Jesus was only given three gifts. Christmas is not about spoiling your kids. They're going to get spoiled. and It's, it's not about that. and It's not, not about that. It's, this is just pointless stuff. We're arguing over things that don't matter. What we ought to be is a people who look straight into the Scripture and straight to the God who redeemed us and say, this is what they waited for and this is what we have. And this is what we want to see again. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at PiercePoint.org for more information.